Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Modern. And welcome back to Masters of Modern. I'm your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-host, Ben Bateman. And we are driving back from GP Vegas. We are literally on the road. I've hooked up a recording equipment. It's in my lap. I'm holding a microphone and holding a microphone up to Ben's mouth. And I am uh, involved in the podcast in a semi-dangerous way. Yeah, yeah, because driving and podcasting at the same time, the best idea we've ever had. Can't hold a, you can't hold a cell phone while driving, but you can certainly hold a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> um... So yeah, so we uh, we just went to GP Vegas. It was awesome. Uh, congratulations to Ben. You made day two. Uh, yeah, I finished uh, 96th out of about 3,800 in my Grand Prix. There were two Grand Prix. So that was my first day two. Uh, and as well as my first day two, my first like deep, deep Grand Prix finish uh, in the top 3% of a tournament. So I felt pretty good about that. Yeah, so for you guys, for everyone who doesn't know, uh, the way the GP was breaking out is so incomprehensively large at almost 9,000 players that they had to split it into two separate GPs. There was like the Planeswalker Origins cards that were kind of basically a blind advertisement for the next set, uh, Magic Origins. And then there was the uh, Modern Masters Legends side of the room, which was all the like different legendary creatures and mythics from the most recent, or from Modern Masters. He's talking about the banners that were hanging above each section to, to denote which of the two GPs? There, you said cards. Right. There were no, there were no cards from. Oh origins. no, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and on top of that, though, each section, like, the, each GP was also separated into like a bunch of little miniature small GPs. Like you were in like Gideon, and I was in V Click, and there was like someone. Yeah, in there were GP. like sealed flights that were like a thousand people each, uh, or like nine hundred people. It was it was pretty much ridiculous, like totally ridiculous. Like if you've ever been to a very 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 large convention, like. San Diego Comic-Con. It was sort of like being in the main hall at San Diego Comic-Con where walking from one side of the room to the other side of the room takes you five to yeah. ten minutes. Uh, it's, you know, it's not like a women's club gym or like some of these GPs where it's, a, you know, a large convention center room, but you can kind of see everything. I got lost right, throughout, you're like throughout a, you're the whole high school, high school gym versus like the Las Vegas Convention Center like fully open to like this giant event where there's hundreds of vendors. I got a bunch of cards signed. I got my brainstorms and my thoughts signed by like the original artists. Like there are 12 original art, or I think there were like 30 original artists at the event. There was like, no dead space is the other crazy yeah, thing. The yeah. whole entire ballroom was full uh, of vendors and all, there's all kinds. It was pretty, it was a pretty insane event. Definitely was very worth going. We had a really good time. Um, so I think maybe should we just kind of start from the beginning and, and we'll guys kind of walk you through what it was like and some of the, the exciting moments. Yeah, so why don't we each walk, we'll walk through like what our pools were. Obviously yours are more interesting because you actually made day two. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I guess so then quickly I'll start. I, I went uh, X3. I like drop. I didn't even drop it, went to the last round. But, you know, the, the soul crushing last round, last loss, so I couldn't make it day two. One match away I from know. day two. It, it's actually really interesting. The X2 bracket might be the most depressing magic I've ever played in my life because every single person you played it's either you lose and your dreams are crushed or you're literally crushing the dreams of the opponent across from you like all day I was like oh here you check out my podcast at that point it's like I don't want I don't want I don't want to make you feel worse so I'm just gonna quietly shuffle my deck and put it in my box and go away and I have uh you know no dignity so I crush people's dreams and gave them the business card for our podcast anyway right right so uh my pool I did the black red aggro deck so like doing research on this format ahead of time this is still relevant because it's on, uh, on Moto now. Um, I read articles that like you either want to be five colors where you're playing every good card you have, or you want to try and be as aggressive as possible if you don't have the five color deck. So I didn't have great fixing, so I went towards the black right black red strategy with some splashes at the top end for uh, I forget what it's called, but it, it it you get to regrowth a card from your graveyard and, and either do damage to your opponent or a creature for that much. Cost six mana. Vengeful it, rebirth. It's ven, called. Yeah, vengeful rebirth, and it, it does. You know, it's a great top end curve. But let's let's talk about your your seal pool. So uh, I, I'm sitting there, and I show up, and I ask them which which flight I'm in because my name's not on the registration sheet, and they say, "Oh, you're you are in here. It's just not on the sheet for whatever reason." You go sit there at that other table by yourself. Uh, the table is going to be for the sleeping special people, the people with buys. Kessler and I did not have any buys. Uh, so I sat there by myself with my pool. Um, say what? We will now. We will now, yeah. I sat there by myself, uh, and I was like, okay, like, you know, it's cool. These cards that I opened are kind of mediocre and not very good. And normally at a major tournament, what they have you do is after you register the pool, you then pool, you pass your pool, your cards, the guy across from you, and they shuffle it all up, 
who, who has what pool and you end up with somebody else's cards. This is to like eliminate cheating and preferencing your own pool. Because I was sitting at a table by myself, when they made the announcement, okay guys, just kidding, you're all keeping the cards you opened, it was just like a surprise. Right. I was like, oh no, because my pool was just not good. I think rare, I had like one rare. rare that was playable and a bunch of crap. Okay. But the guy comes over to me and he's like, ah, we're going to switch your pool because you're sitting by yourself. I was like, oh, okay, oh, nice, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> so he comes back. I'm the only person in the entire hall that gets my own pool or that gets to switch. He walks back over. He's like, you're going to like this a lot more. So I look at it. I've got Elish Norn, Grand Zenobiet. I have a regular Indomitable Archangel, as which well as a foil Indomitable Archangel. Which, which that's the uh, the rare that used to be a mythic that gives all artifacts and control hexproof, but it, it's also just a four mana, four, four flyer. Yeah, in limited, it's a two white, two colorless for a four, four flyer. Um, I also had Argent Sphinx. Uh, Argent Sphinx? Yeah, the Sphinx the, the from... Blinky, the Blinky Metalcraft Sphinx. The Metalcraft Sphinx with yeah. a fourth, another four, four flyer for four, which is double blue. Um, I Those were, I believe, the rares that I played in my pool. Um, I, I also opened Midnight Banshee and Ghost Council of Orzhova, but I didn't play either of them because the color requirements to go double black in my pool were too much. Right. Uh, I had an Electrolyze. I had a Burst Light, two Burst Lightnings. I had also a Vengeful Rebirth. I had a Mole Drifter. So you had, like, just the Stone Cold Nuts. I had a lot of really good cards. Right, right, right. Um, but something I learned at this tournament from other people with good pools and something that I think I have learned in my life as a Magic player is you can't really credit success to just opening good cards and sealed. It helps a lot, but you can't. You won't go in a nine round day one. You will not win seven rounds if you don't play well. Right. I mean, like, so my pool had some great cards. I had Bitter Blossom. I had uh, Profane Command. I had Edrixar. Like, I had all these great cards. I didn't get the day two. So, like, a great pool does not necessarily mean, I mean a great. Si finish. A six three is pretty good. Six three, you were you were a match away. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I did well, but I, I'm I'm saying like in general. It's not a guarantee, and I played people with way better pools that I, I stomped over, and I played people with way worse pools that beat me. Yeah, so I, I built my deck, and I looked at it, and, and there, was, there was the makings of a black-white kind of semi-aggressive deck because I had a couple Spirits cards, and I had, the like I said, I had all these strong white cards plus Midnight Banshee and also, of course, Ghost Council. So in my, in my mind, I was like, okay, I can go with this five-color deck because I had opened two Sphere of the Suns, three Sphere of the Suns, and two Rampant Growths and four Bounce Lands. I was like, I can go with this big, slow, five-color deck with lots of removal and bombs, or I can try to do this black-white deck, because realistically, the black-white deck could still play a bunch of sweet cards. It just wouldn't have been quite as powerful. So I had built, both built and both sleeved up. And uh, I played my first round with the five-color deck, and I lost the first game, and I second-guessed myself, and yeah, I... Yeah, well, why don't you break down... So, like, I know... Most of the day, probably we won't go through, but I do want to like walk through that. This first loss was kind of soul crushing because soul crushing. <laughs> because historically, at Magic tournaments I play constructed events, right? And I play them with brews. So losing the first round is a feeling I'm very familiar with, and I had this like not again kind of feeling right. where I was just like I opened all these good cards and I can't even win the first round. And this guy I was playing against, you know, his deck was pretty good. He ended up going X two um, throughout the day, which is pretty good. It's probably why my breakers were pretty decent in the end. Uh, my one my one loss at the beginning was to a, a good player. His deck was solid. He top decked extremely well. Um, one game he drew Profane Command and Banefire in back to back draws, and I had him at one, and the Banefire killed me. I mean, it only did one, but right. I then sideboarded into a bad black white deck, like I said, which I didn't need to do. But well, so I, I, I do want to talk about that. So, like a lot of pros, and sometimes this is something to really consider. Um, when you get a sealed pool, a the way these major events work is you have to build your pool. No one talked. We mentioned this before. You can't talk to anyone. So it's very possible that you've made mistakes. But because it's competitive REL, you can't start a match without the exact same same of cards every single time. In fact, our friend Jimmy got a game loss because he accidentally left a card in between rounds. So a lot of what pros do is like, oh, I realized I should have built this super hyper aggressive strategy or my strategy is so controlly that if I'm in a bad matchup, I should just switch it up so that their sideboard cards aren't as good. And... This is a switch you can make, but sometimes it's a giant mistake because you don't really have that secondary deck, and you you're maybe thinking you're being too clever or being too cute, actually switching to a new strategy. Like to be like what I did in do, this first round. <laughs> I built I misbuilt my pool by four cards. Um, I think I, I went over it with AJ Soccer, who's like a pretty awesome pro, really cool dude. Um, I think we might have him on the cast at some point. But after I had turned in my list and I was about to play my first round, he looked over my pool and he's like, "Yeah, hey, I think your pool is pretty much correct. You should be playing these two bounce lands, like." They're just really good. You're controlly. Like, they're off color, but just play them anyway. 
Um, and then he was like, and these two cards could be these two cards. I took three of his four suggestions, and every single game throughout the entire tournament, I switched those three cards out into game two. So that's like pretty normal. Right. You realize your deck is probably a little a little off. So the, the one thing I will say, instead of recounting any gameplay, memories from that first round because I don't really remember the round super well. Yeah, yeah, my, this is like 8 a.m. after f getting in the night before late and like possibly having a little bit of fun because we're in Vegas. Like you're not you're not awake. <laughs> we, I mean this is we, I got in Thursday night. We hung oh, out right. there. Friday night we had like a few drinks. We didn't get too crazy. Got to sleep at a reasonable hour. I actually got out of bed at 6.45 a.m. day of the tournament. Went and worked out for two hours and then got to the gym like got to the tournament um, which seemed like pretty ballsy to do. But I sort of felt like it would be good for me to kind of get the blood flowing and wake up. So yeah, I mean, like at, at that point, you're you're actually like kind of ready for the tournament. Versus me, who I'm like two Trenta iced coffees deep, maybe into a third venti <laughs> at that point. Like literally, we have some footage of you playing. Like I walked over towards later in the rounds of me filming it, and you can tell how much coffee I've drinking by how much the camera is just shaking because I can't <laughs> hand, keep my hands still. Um, yeah. So I, uh, I I I sideboarded into that weird deck. I lost the game. I then proceeded to rip off seven match wins in a row. Um, now, a lot of our buddies that made day two, 10 people from our Westside Magic store, Heidi Ho Comics and Games, 10 of us made day two. Um, that's a pretty ridiculous percentage yeah, like considering. Percent, like, I think we're like 18 of us actually yeah, went. Yeah, 16 so, like, or 18. That's, that's like almost 50% for a single store. That's insane. And granted, Adam Mancuso has been to like six pro tours, and Andrew and Eugene are both Grand Prix winners, and, you know, Cliff and... Cliff and Austin, uh, Austin and both tours. both the pro tours. Like, I mean, it's a very good group of players. It's not that surprising that a lot right. of people would make day two. And I mean, you're and you're the host of the Master of Modern podcast. Yeah, you have a better day two on. on you, I mean, you were Masters a match TV. away from day two. It's match. like, <laughs> so so. I mean, I would say like, it's not insanely surprising, but uh, they a lot of them had one and two buys, so they start with a two zero record. Right. So to to actually go seven in a row like that was pretty nuts. I mean, every game I played Elish Norn, I won. You know, that card is totally ridiculous. Totally well, that's something about this format that I, th I think it's one of my complaints is the format is built in a way where there are just some, for sealed, there are just some cards. And this is true of a lot of formats like, you know, Inferno Titan in the, the M sets that right. it's in. And, like, it, it's just how this kind of works. But there are some cards that are just like, oh, you have Elishnorn. So you, like, you basically get two buys by opening that card. Yeah, almost. Yeah, I mean, Comet Storm, Profane Command, Elishnorn. These are the cards that are, if you open them and you look at them, you're like, if I draw this, it will swing the game so wildly when I draw it, probably. Um, you can come back from, I would say, yeah, each, each of those each of those has the capabilities of completely swinging a game. Like, right. completely. I mean, with, with Profane, you can get back your best thing they've already killed, kill their best thing, or, like, attack attack them, they take the damage, kill their best thing, and then drain life them. Right. Like, it's... Pretty pretty bananas what you can do. Same same with Common Storm. You can wipe their whole board or Elish Yeah, Storm. I mean like uh, there like of my three losses, one was to Mana Screw, one was to me being dumb and it, too much coffee and too late in the night. But like one to film was just like oh they cast Karn every turn on turn four. Oh yeah, Karn. He's another card that if you just open like, him and you cast him, can't beat that card. Very very hard. <laughs> very hard to win. So um, so yeah. So you went undefeated for seven more rounds. Right. And then after and there, there was a couple like pretty interesting rounds. There was a few things I noticed. So one thing I will point out, guys, is is if you're someone who really enjoys playing Magic, and you say you play a lot of Constructed, and maybe you draft with your friends some, and, and maybe you even do some sealed events, there's a massive difference between that and then sitting down with a new set and expecting to be able to make the, the right build right at first and know how to play it right away. Because I, I was surprised at how rusty I felt that first round. Like I said, everything right. I told you guys, from second-guessing my deck into the second game, some of the obvious, those few cards I talked about, just, like, obvious stuff, like, yeah, I should be playing Bounce Lands even if they're not entirely on color. Like, they're just good in this deck. Or, like, uh, I think I, I can remember making one. I missed two triggers in that game that were just super stupid misses. I really definitely needed a game to warm up. Well, and I also think, so, something that you kind of benefit from is the era that Modern Masters comes from is, like, you were playing through that whole era. So, like, I definitely started in Zendikar, and I do think I know some of this format a little bit better because two new sets that I started playing with were right, in the right, format. Right. 
versus last time where it was like a completely fresh slew of cards and I only know them from constructive play. Sure. But with this one, like you played in a lot of these limited environments and that has to have helped like knowing like, oh, this is why Graft is good. This is how these cards interact with each other. Yeah, I remember like, Ravnica very well. Time Spiral I know really well. Lorwyn Morning Tide I played a lot of. My my like heyday in terms of like when I was first most obsessed with magic. And your and most limited play. Yeah, I played a ton of Lorwyn, Lorwyn Morning Tide, Shadowmore Eventide. Uh, I played a tremendous amount of so and and then actually the um, I played a lot of New Phyrexia, right. besieged and a lot of New Phyrexia. Uh, so so yeah, I definitely knew the cards well, but I, I had really really good cards. So I, I made it to that last round, and there was only one round. The ninth round of the day was the only round that I legitimately felt like I lost fair and square. Like. I have footage of this is the one I had footage where my hands were shaking, but like the guy basically had your deck, but with slightly better, like slightly more rares on color that he was playing. He had the same white angel. He had like just Humble a magnets, a lot of arrests. Yeah, he just had a really, really, really good blue white artifact deck with great disruption, counter spells, aggressive creatures, the right curve. Just the kind of thing that there's a reason he's X1 also. Like the, the other thing is like every single round you go undefeated every single round becomes more difficult. Like, one of the things I did notice at this GP, and I think one of the reasons it was so easy to like do well in the beginning, if you got lucky, is like the field is much looser than a normal Grand Prix. Right. Because like there is a ton of people that are just playing in this event because it's the biggest event of all time. And they're not generally GP grinders. They're just like, okay, it's time for me. I just want to come hang out and have fun playing Mario Masters at a GP. And so, like, it's a lot easier on day one to kind of get through it. There's also a lot of little things, guys. Like, for instance, if you're a if you're a moto player, there's a few things that happen throughout the weekend. Like, you played narcolepsy on someone's creature. It's your responsibility to tap that creature during upkeep. And if you're on moto, it gives you a prompt. But in person, in, in like you know, in real life magic, you have to know to do that. And I saw a lot of stuff happen. It just just little things like that where you know a good player is going to catch it, might swing the game if they miss it. Um, but uh, yeah, I finished the finished the first day. You know, X two felt really good about it. Went and, and got you know a good amount of sleep. Woke up, uh, worked out again the next morning just to kind of repeat the, the cycle. It showed up. I slept in. <laughs> yeah. So the way day two works is they they shrink it down. Of the thirty eight hundred people in day one, three hundred and seventy nine I think or per, right per pot. So there was seven hundred and. Uh, some amount like a, yeah like eight maybe players in day two you had which to, mind you gp san diego the one we went to yeah uh, a couple of years back had less players in day one than this gp had in day two yeah i mean pretty just 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 totally insane the size of this thing and about 10 percent of uh day one makes day two so you show up uh, they put you into a draft pod you're going to draft twice with three rounds each draft and then if you make it to top eight you get a top eight draft and uh, obviously, Modern Masters is a money set, so it's, it's exciting to, it's definitely exciting to be, you know, getting three free or two free Modern Masters drafts. But you want to win. And I've never made day two of a Grand Prix, and it's draft, and I've drafted this about five times, so I didn't really know exactly what to expect, but I assumed that the, that the, uh, the competition was going to be pretty tough. There were some sweet players in my pod, you know, our friend Eugene, who's been on the pod before, you know, Grand Prix winner, he was in, he was in my, you know, day two of my side, Patrick Chapin. Paul Rietzel, Paulo Vitor Di Damarosa. I think Reed Duke may have been th- been in there. So there was definitely some some good players. Paul Chion, Dave Williams. I think they were all in in my side. Right. So, so anyway, my, my first draft I show up to, no pros. I didn't recognize anybody. Um, you know, I wasn't super intimidated. I knew I didn't want to draft blue. Blue is is a color that in this format is like not that sweet. Uh, it has some good synergies. The multicolor blue strategies are good, but I, I like blue either in the artifact deck or as a third color. Exactly. Like I, if you like, we were talking uh, the night before, like doing draft strategies, and we definitely were on board with, like, it's almost worth it to pass Cryptic Command or V Click because you put your opponent in blue. But if you have Cryptic Command, then you just want to go really hard into the artifact theme because it's the only good blue aggressive deck, and it's the only one that really will capitalize on what Cryptic Command's doing for you. Yeah, I believe what I did is I knew that the five color green strategy is good domain everybody kind of knew that and everybody knows that the spirit strategy the black white spirit strategy is sort of the one that if you can get it if you can get the right cards for it it's very 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 hard to lose because you just have so much um your long game is great your inevitability is fantastic so i I took green and white cards early 
Um, I think I took a rest first pick. I may have taken a scatter of the seeds or uh, Kozilek's Predator or something like that second pick because I sort of I was like, okay, I like the green-white token strategy a lot. I got a Sunlance. I was passing blue cards. There was I passed a bunch of uh, Water Servants and like fourth or fifth pack, I remember passing a fourth or fifth pack, I can remember passing a, a, a Plaxcaster Frogling. No, no, not Plaxcaster, I'm sorry. Lower Scale Codal. That's the one green, one blue, one colorless 2-2 two -two that whenever you draw a card, put a plus one plus counter on him. Which I found has been pretty bad in the format when I've played it. Because yeah. I've, I've had one at least three times, and like every single time I'm like, oh, this does nothing, I set it out every game. It's a powerful card. It's not a card you're going to take like fourth overall oh, unless no. you know your strategy. It's really good in the graph deck because it's obviously a fat creature that can fly and be protected because it gets counters on it. But uh, I passed it because I didn't want to be in those colors, and I was already right. in green-white. So then I end up opening Plaxcaster Frogling in like the seventh or eighth pack, or sorry, it was passed to me in the seventh or eighth pack. Now, Plaxcaster Frogling, for those that don't remember, is a card from Ravnica Block, and it's a, it's a high, high skill level card to play. It's pretty good, um, though. It's really good. It's one green, one blue, one colorless for a graft creature that comes into play with three plus one plus one counters. So it's three, three for three. His ability is two colorless mana, target creature with a plus one plus one counter on it gains shroud until end of turn. In a graft deck, it's incredibly difficult to kill your creatures if you have him on board. And because he's a 3-3 three, three for 3, he's fairly aggressive anyway. So once I saw that in the pack, it was like 7th, I think. I took him. In the next pack, I think the next pick was Aquastrand Spider. And I had already taken one earlier just as a green creature on 2. Yeah, that, well, I mean, that card's really good in the format in general. So then I was like, okay, I guess green and green-blue. Maybe I can be green-blue-white. We'll see. The, the lore-scale Kotal ended up wheeling. I got a Vines of Vastwood, and then Novigen Sages, which is two blue, four colorless for a Graft 4, 4-4, four, four, that has the ability one colorless, remove two plus one plus one counters from among creatures you control to draw a card. I got it fourth to last. So we just passed a uh, abandoned water park that looks like we're just going to be murdered anytime soon. So if we end up uh, dying I've been while, there while I, I, listening I, to the podcast. I've been there before. It's awesome. All um, right, so continue. <laughs> <laughs> so then I kind of knew I was in blue-green. Um, I didn't know 100% like just how dominant the deck was going to be, because, but it seemed like I was falling into the strategy. What ended up happening in packs 2 and 3 was, as well as getting two more Plaxcaster Froglings, um, some good removal, some good bounce, most of the picks I wanted just kind of fell in my lap. Uh, the deck just kind of... Right, that, I mean, that's the other side. That's kind of what... Um, I forget the format, but like often in draft formats, there's just a weak color, but... Because it's weak, it'll go heavily underpicked, picked, and then you might just end up with the nutso deck because you're able to get every single card you could possibly need to make that draft really work. Actually, I remember what it was: Demir in Gatecrash Limited, where like you would just get all of the cards you could possibly need because no one ever wanted to be in Demir, but Demir ended up being pretty powerful if you got the exact perfect deck. Yeah, I was pretty surprised. Like the kind of things that were wheeling. Like I got another fourth pick Plaxcaster Frogling in the second pack. Like it was just, it was pretty solid. So I, I didn't think the deck was like super, super amazing. Um, I, you know, I didn't know what to expect. I ended up 2 0ing my first round. My second round, I believe in the two first. Uh, 2 0ing my first opponent uh, in, uh, in, in, uh, in the match. Right, right. Um, I believe the second guy I played. So what ended up happening, guys, is I splashed black because I got two Agony Warps, I got a Spread the Sickness, and I got an Endrixar Master Breeder. And I didn't really want to play a third color, but there are such powerful cards that I think I played one Agony Warp main deck, and I was pretty tempo-y. I think I had, like, Remand in the deck. Okay. Um, so it was, it was a little loose to play the black, but the cards were very powerful. So what ended up happening is in the second match, I played against the green-white green tokens deck. Right. And... It's a very good deck. He beat me in game one. I was at three, and I came back. I, I resolved Endrixar. Then the next turn, I resolved uh, the five-mana Helium Squirter to get five one-ones. I was at three, and his, his dudes couldn't attack. And I had a really powerful board position because I had Endrixar, and I had, like, a six-drop creature in hand. Endrixar, for those that don't know, is a 2-2 for one black and four colorless that states, whenever you cast a creature spell, put X 1-1 Thrall tokens on the battlefield. If you control seven or more Thralls, sacrifice Endrixar. Right. He was in my day one pool. 
Yeah. He's, he's, he's very, 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 very good. He's a beast. <laughs> so if you attack with him, you feel undefeatable. So what happened was I was actually in a position to win the game, and I went too aggressive to try to get too cute. I attacked with my whole board to bring him to, like, eight, and knowing that he would block and kill, like, the correct number of tokens for me to then resolve Cloud Elemental and get three more tokens to keep my Andrixar alive. Play Agony Warp, kill his best guy, swing for lethal the next turn. What I didn't realize was, if I had just played the six six in, or the, the six mana creature in my hand, I wouldn't have had to deal with any of that. I would have had far too many blockers for him to even worry about it. Endrixar would have died, and I would have had no overwhelming force to kill him with. Right. I tried to get cute. I played Cloud Elemental. I tried to kill his guy with Agony Warp. He had Vines of Vastwood. You got blown out. Evoked in, flat, scatter the seeds end of turn, and destroyed me. Okay. Lost that match, won my third match, finished my first draft 2-1. I really think I could have 3-0'd the draft. Um, I just, it was a play error. Uh, it's the kind of thing that you regret. And if I played in a lot of major Grand Prix, if I had time to go to as many as I'd like, I, that's the kind of play I probably wouldn't make. But, I mean, it's a long day of magic. Well, it, so. it, it's a lesson to, t like, it's something that took me a long time to learn. Um, but being too cute in like the things you're trying to do in Magic is most often not the correct thing to do. Being like, oh, it's cool that I can do this when you're trying to be in competitive and you're at like day two of a GP. Really, the best plays are going to be more just like how efficiently can I kill my opponent, not how coolly can I kill my opponent. And 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 it's hard because like my natural tendencies, I think a lot of players' natural tendencies is more to do like. Oh, I feel because like people that play Magic are generally people that like feeling smart because they are smart. You're like, oh, I like playing the smart play here. When in really reality, a lot of the time, the actual smart play is is the boring play. Right, right, right. Yeah, I completely agree. So that was that was a uh, you know round one. So at this point, my seven two record from day one has now become nine three. At X three, you're no longer in contention for top eight, but you're still in contention for making some money. Uh, pay, a tournament this size paid cash down to 230th place. Um, uh, we just went through the California inspection thing. We don't have any weird, crazy vegetables or fruits that are going to ruin the ecology of California. Not like the lack of rain is really going to make it possible to happen. But you were saying? Yeah, so that was the end of, uh, you know, that was the, end of the first one. So you're going into one more draft. At, at X3, you're not going to make day two. The event pays down to, or you're not going to make the top eight. The event pays down to 230th place. And quite honestly, outside of top 16, the money becomes the difference of like a hundred bucks, so it's pretty relative. You just want to play the best you can, you know. For me, the idea of maybe finishing X three at a Grand Prix, fifteen rounds against some of the best players in the world, was pretty exciting. Well, this is also the most difficult Grand Prix to reach the top two hundred players, like eight thousand people. Your top what ninety percentile there? Uh, yeah, I mean, if not more than that, <laughs> of our of our personal. Grand Prix, or the one I was in, I was in the top 3%. Right. Uh, total, I guess, that would put me in the top 6%. Yeah. So, yeah, I feel pretty That's good about insane. being in the top 6% of 8,000 people. Um, but, nonetheless, nonetheless, I went into my last round, and for if, if, if any of you guys were there and saw me, um, you may have noticed that I was walking around the entire weekend filming myself and talking to my phone. Uh, this is just something I'm, I'm doing. I'm going to maybe cut together a little video. I have to watch the footage when I get home and see how it all turned out. But it'll be on our YouTube channel. Yeah, it'll go. TV. If I like it, if it's good, I'll put it up. Um, so I had been introducing every one of my opponents and getting footage of a lot of people throughout the weekend. So I go and I look at the pairings for the second draft. I'm thinking, okay, I just took the graph deck. Like maybe I'll get a maybe I'll get a, like a, a deck I feel a little better about going into this next round. And I look at the the draft pod. It's me, five guys I don't recognize, Hall of Famer and Pro Tour champion Paul Rietzel, and Hall of Famer and Pro Tour champion Paolo Vitor Domodorosa. So that was cool. So we sit down, and, and I introduce the table on my camera. Uh, be like, so guys, this is my draft pod. These are who I'm playing with. There's two Hall of Famers in my draft pod. That's pretty cool. They were cool about it. Um, I had already talked to Rietzel earlier in the weekend a little bit about maybe coming on the podcast. And, and, so well, and Rietzel's one of your favorite pro players. He's general. one of my all-time favorite pro players. Right. He's a guy that I've actually watched a lot of matches, so I was pretty excited. Uh, so, so we draft. Yep. Rietzel's sitting to my right, which is cool, because it's like yeah, I'm getting cards passed to me from Rietzel, and then passing cards to Rietzel. Um, and uh, yeah, we do the draft. My first round opponent is neither PV or Rietzel. It's uh, another guy um, who I beat. <laughs> uh, his deck was bad. Um, it if, was if, if, if you're listening, we're sorry, but 
you know, you made day two, round yeah. three of a GP, so great job. Oh, I should talk about the deck that I drafted. Yeah, yeah, that would be nice. Same uh, thing. But before you go, uh, yeah. so, you know, continuing the haunted tour of our trip in the middle of the desert, uh, we left the haunted water park and now are literally at the road Ghost Town. This is it literally the town of Ghost Town. It's really weird. I've driven through it before, like driven around. Yep. It's very so I, odd. I still think my favorite, like, exit on this drive is the XXYZZ. Which is like literally a town that exists, and it's just the last letters of the alphabet. X X Y Z Z. Yep. It's just the letters they couldn't figure out to use. Right. <laughs> it's like, uh, we need town and uh, okay. All right. Now back to what you're <laughs> drafting. So uh, same deal. I didn't want to draft blue. I knew that the graph deck was good. Um, same thing happens where I take off color cards to start the draft, and I end up just like, I I want to say I took burst lightning high. Then I took a rest again, second pick, and then I took electrolyze, and then I got smoke braider passed to me, and I was like, I wonder if with a burst lightning and an electrolyze, should I should I take the smoke braider and see what happens? Because I was passing, you know, powerful blue cards, but I was like, I wonder right. if I start cutting red and red blue cards if I see any good ones. Well, getting blue cards late seems to be pretty easy based off of the fact that most people are like literally told do not be playing blue. Right. So like. The red is the color you want to cut if you're going to try going the blue-red elemental list. So I'd, I'd never drafted it. The blue-red elementals list, for any of you guys that don't know, is far and away, if you get it, the most explosive list you can get in modern, even in modern masters, even more so than affinity. Affinity is very powerful. More than black-red, even you think? Oh yeah, because because elementals, because of what smoke Raider does in terms of mana efficiency with the deck, it's so bananas. So smoke Raider, for those who don't know, is one red, one colorless for one-one elemental that states tap. Add two mana of in any combination of colors to your mana pool. Spend this mana only to cast elemental spells or activate abilities of elementals. It's like the most disgusting mana creature in the world if you get the right deck. Um, and completely unplayable if you don't get the right deck. Exactly. <laughs> it's a one-one for two. So it's swingy. All right, continue. So it's like totally my kind of card. Yeah. So I took it. I took smoke braider. Then I was past another smoke braider. And it, as the draft went on, it just. The cards just kept wheeling. I ended up getting four Smoke Braiders. I ended up getting two Soul Bright Flamekin, which is the one red, one colorless, two one, who has a two mana colorless ability. Target creature gains trample at the end of turn. If this is the third time this ability has resolved, add eight mana to your mana pool. So simultaneously, you can trample your whole team and turn six into eight. Smoke Braider can activate that ability. Would I, you say that Smoke Braider is your red Grand Architect? Yes. I've always loved that card. I have like 19 of them sitting in my collection in, in, okay. in, in L.A. because it's one of the few commons I refuse to throw away. Okay, so it, it sounds like you've finished the draft and somehow have lucked into, like both drafts you like, you shouldn't draft blue, but I'm going to draft blue because like it's pretty open in these formats and you've gone kind of the nuts uh, elemental deck. How did the rest of the, the, matches the, a, go? the matches go? So the first match I played against a guy that took a really, really slow artifact deck. Okay. And it was like an artifact blue, white, black deck, I think. Like tumble magnets and, and yeah, other like, kind of he had like charge counter base. Yeah, he had like Flare Husk, Cathodians, the 2-2 flyer for four, Fairy Mechanist, who, who uh, checks the top three cards for an artifact and puts it in your hand. Okay. Shout um, out to anyone in Barstow. We're currently passing you right now. <laughs> His deck was just slow. Um, my deck was so fast that, like, I mean, to give you guys a sense of, like, some of the hands and things you can do, there was a turn mid-game in that game where I played, I had two Smoke Braiders, one of the Soul Bright Flamekin, that's the two mana, mana Acceler and Trample thing, the Lord, and then one Inner Flame Igniter, the 2-2 two -two that can plus one plus all your team for three. Right. I was able to tap my Smoke Braiders and two mana to make all of my all of my three attacking elementals into tramplers, then take that eight mana and add one more and dump that nine into the Interflame Igniter's ability to give my whole team plus three plus zero oh in first strike. So now instead of a couple of three twos, I'm attacking with three six three and five two first strike tramplers. He had just played a precursor golem, which was like his splashy rare, thinking he was going to be able to block. Okay. He was like all block. I was like, okay, first strike, they all die, and I still do nine. <laughs> yeah. It was like pretty ridiculous. Like right, you, you right. could just do absurd things. Like I had two mana leaks in the main deck. I mean you can like turn two smoke brighter, turn three, actually hard cast Moldrifter, draw two, have a two two flyer and still hold open leak. Or like hold open snag, vapor snag, and burst lightning, which I did like several times. I mean just really powerful. Right. 
So I was too fast for him. I 2-0'd him. The next match, I played against the black-red aggressive, like, Bloodthirst deck. Okay. Um, those games were the closest, most exciting games I played the whole weekend. Um, it was his Jean-Paul Mouton, I think was his name. He was from Germany. Um, he didn't speak a lot of English. He was a really nice guy. These matches were incredibly close. Because the guy was a foreigner and didn't speak a great deal of English, and because he was just very, very focused, he had a poker face like few players I've ever played where I literally, until the final moment, thought that he had me every game. Um, going into my 15th round of the day, last round of Magic, against none other than Paul Rietzel. One of my favorite Magic players, the last round of day two of my first day two of a Grand Prix against one of my favorite players. So Rietzel, we sat down, and uh, I was pretty excited. You know, I introduced him on camera and everything like that, and he was totally cool about it. Um, he basically was like, first thing he said was, how important are these pro points to you? And I was like, well, I mean, I don't go to enough of these events that the pro points are a huge deal to me. I want to do the best I can, and I'd like to make as much money as possible. He said, this match, the pro points are very important to me, as if I get them with a win here, I qualify for the world championship. And my next opportunity to get those points would be to do very well at the Pro Tour, which is very hard to do. And, and something to keep in mind these situations is whenever you're discussing rewards and what's happening with the tournament and any type of draw split situation, it takes very specific wording to be able to pull it off because anything said slightly incorrectly can be taken as bribing and that could be just complete disqualification. And disqualification. to his credit, he had two different judges with him standing standing at the table that he asked to come over, I'm, I'm assuming, uh, to make sure that he said it exactly right. And I said, look, just be, can you speak off record or talk about someone else's situation to tell me what you're really asking here? Because if you want to split, like, he was like, until we've agreed on a, a prize split, there's nothing that can be discussed as far as concessions or match results. There is no conversation that can be had, and I have to be very careful about how I, what I say and how I say it. And I was like, look, man, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I don't care. I want to play you a real game of Magic. You're, like, I want to see if I can win this because I want to finish in my mind X3 even if my record says X4. I don't mind splitting the prize, and at the end of the day, he was offering a prize split here regardless of who won, which was that was the, the bargain. I was like, I'll attack for lethal if you show me that, that, I, don't, that, you, that I have it. I'll concede before damage. I don't care. So he was like, cool, excellent, sounds awesome. So we played the games. <laughs> I didn't. He tromps you, like, right? <laughs> he didn't stop me. I lost 2-0. Like, the games were close enough. Like, uh, I didn't feel like I lost at a, for any bad play reason. You know I mean? He drew well. Like, I drew my bounce land early in both games and had to do the whole, like, didn't accelerate me thing. My deck's supposed to be very fast. So whatever. Um, they were good games. He was real cool about the whole thing. So I think we will have him come on the podcast at some point here. But it was a lot of fun to play him in the final round of my first day, too. You know, it was a nice nice sort of cherry on top of the weekend. Um, I was going to say, you know, that there you do with the whole rules learning things. Like, there are things that I don't know about that, like, you just infringe cases you learn. Like, for instance, in one game, he had Wayfarer's Bobble on the table, which is the one-mana artifact that for two mana you can sacrifice it to put a land into play from your deck. And I had a bounce land, and I played my bounce land and had eight cards in my hand because I was on the draw. I went to discard, and he said, wait, 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 you have to announce you're going to discard because I have to activate this Wayfarer's Bubble before you go to discard. Once you've gone to discard, your turn is officially over, and I can no longer have priority to activate this Wayfarer's Bubble. Uh, I didn't yeah, know yeah. this. That, makes sense on, like, that happens on Moto. You don't really think about it. Yeah, it's just one of those things that you think about discard and, and end step and cleanup is all kind of just a jumbled ending. You sort there's of a, definitely a very distinctive step-by-step-by-step -by -step -by -step yeah. process. So that's cool. Like, obviously, around a really good player who knows little tiny things like that. Because if he had done it otherwise, I wouldn't have noticed. Um, but uh, anyway, it was a great ending to the tournament. You know, I ended up getting 96th out of 3,800. Felt really good about it. I think I got one pro point, I'm pretty sure. Uh, I could be wrong, but I think I okay. got one pro point You're next officially four. a pro Magic player. Yeah, and yeah. It, it reminded me <laughs> of how much fun it is to play at high-level events and do well. And, and, I mean, doing really well at high-level events is not something I have experience with, but playing at high-level events competitively and wanting to do well and really going into it with that attitude that you're going to do well, it was something I haven't really gone into in a little while. And a couple of years really hard. Uh, most of the Magic I've played in the last couple of years has been off-site testing, some local stuff, like we, Kessler and I have played a lot of Magic. 
But really traveling to a big event like this is not something I, I've had the time for in the last couple of years as much as I'd like to. So I think this might kind of inspire me to do more of it, uh, more of it going forward or tr try to make the time for it. So if you could have done one thing differently this trip, what, what one thing would you do differently? Uh, probably not lose those two matches, <laughs> X2 and top eight. Don't do the crazy, wacky sideboard plan in game one. Yeah, I could have beaten that guy for sure. His deck was good. My deck was better. And then the game against the guy that I made the mistake with the Novogen Sages play. Granted, you never know because losing the first round in some ways puts me in a better bracket against easier players. So going 7-0 my next seven rounds may have happened because I lost my first round. You never know. You uh -huh. can't guarantee it. But those two play mistakes cost me matches uh, that I think I could have won otherwise. Right. Uh, so, okay. Uh, now... This is something I kind of have theories on, but I obviously don't know for sure. But would you say that it's easier to play in day two or day one? Like, which one's more difficult emotionally, physically, and actually with technical ability? Well, I definitely feel more accomplished two wanting both of my day two drafts just right. because you figure day two of a Grand Prix is harder and draft is a more skill-intensive format in terms of, like, practical application of knowledge and skill. But I actually think that 7 twoing a day one with no buys is a harder thing to do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so I think like, that e even though you're in date, even though day two, you're playing against high level pro players and every single thing is very competitive. Like you're there already. There's no like like you get two different drafts. So if maybe your first draft doesn't go amazingly, you can go into the next one where like a GP at eight in the morning, day one, you have to decide on the seal deck that's going to carry you for nine rounds of play the whole and day go undefeated <laughs> yeah going i mean like the tough thing about sealed is that you can be five two and feel really good about yourself you get that loss in the eighth round and go to six three and it's like god all of that yep all of that my day is going to end now and you win that last round you know like it's, now, it's almost better to scrub out oh three than to go five oh and then just lose your last three matches because at least the other way you have the day to do side events <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely pretty tough. Um, otherwise, GP Vegas, though, was a really great event. I mean, the command, the command Zone guys, Jimmy and Josh, they held this awesome event on Thursday night. They got, like, 90-plus people together, listeners and players, and they, they got food and drinks, and everybody was playing Magic. They ran all these conspiracy drafts. It was really cool. We met a bunch of people who listened to both podcasts. Um, if you're listening now and we met you, I met some awesome fans, like really smart Magic players, super fun to talk to. Yeah, same. Made, like, it really kind of warmed my heart to know that there were people that were listening to us. I mean, we see the numbers, obviously, but to meet... Actually interacting with you guys for, you know, like, it's, it's really cool to actually meet some of you guys in person versus just, like, blindly hoping someone's enjoying what we're doing. Yeah, it's like, it's a whole different experience. I played some actual games of Modern with some people. Um, it was it was definitely a lot of fun, you know. People like a couple of you guys actually like joked around with me and referenced Spellskite and Grand Architect. Like <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, so yeah, that was really a lot of fun. Those guys those guys did a great job with that event. And uh, otherwise, just I mean, we talked. I talked to a lot of pros there, all of whom were really really cool. I think we may have booked some really good guests coming up in the near future. So we'll sort of see what what happens with that. Obviously, I don't want to like quote any names other than Rietzel, who karmically owes it to us but <laughs> uh but aside from Ritzel, i don't want to quote anybody on the podcast quite yet but i, I think you guys can expect some pretty great guests coming up in the near yeah, future well, i mean like and we met like we hung out with a lot of other podcasters so like the brainstorm brewery guys might be coming on the cast and we might be going on their cast like there's definitely a lot of cool stuff yeah we uh, met, in the, the future there's a new magic social media network called the metery m-e-a-d-e-r-y get on it Shout out to those guys. Yeah, those guys were awesome. They charged my phone for me. They gave me some <laughs> sleeves. Um, just generally a really, really good site. Very functional. I'm not sure if it's themetery.com, but if you Google magic the metery, like mead, the sort of uh, uh, like drink you would drink if you were a Viking. Right. Um, Viking beer. Viking beer, M-E-A-D, meadery. Uh, if you check that out, uh, th those guys are great, and I really think that their site design is pretty elegant, like very easy to use. I, I was pretty impressed by it. So. Uh, I recommend checking that out. We went to an awesome uh, Puka Trade party. Those guys are really, really cool, really nice to us. Right. Um, I, you know. No, it, I mean, like, that's something I want to say is, like, generally, across the whole event, one of, like, everyone's super nice and excited to be there. Like, what's cool about the Magic community is we all love this game. We're all here to have fun. Like, even if you're not being super competitive, it's just, like, really awesome to kind of be in that environment where everyone's just really enjoying the whole time. Yeah, it was interesting. There was a there little mini documentary being made by Las Vegas City and Channel Fireball were teaming up to film something. And I think Kessler and I walked in and Ty's 
dressed up on day one. Oh, yeah. If you're ever at a GP and you see guys in suits, it's probably us. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they started talking to us at the beginning of the day, I'm assuming because we had suits on. And uh, at the end of it, they kind of asked me, how did you feel about the whole thing? How was the event? What can you say? And when I told them, and this is sort of a similar message that I've been preaching for the last six months to a year because that's the one we've been doing this podcast and I've really become a little bit more aware of where Magic stands socially. But the awareness socially of the game is at such a higher level right now and the social acceptability of playing Magic is at such a higher level right now. You're seeing people of sort of more confident social classes involved in the game. You're seeing women. You're seeing young people. You're seeing couples showing up and playing together. You're, it's like the the social outcast stigma yeah, that was mom attached. mom and like twelve year old son combo made day two at this GP. It was a, it's like there's yeah. crazy diversity. It, it's definitely a, a really cool environment. Yeah, I mean, it, it, but gone are the days where it's it's all dudes with poor social skills and you know, like, there's a social stigma attached that is just, like, a weird thing. Like, this was Las Vegas. This was a 10,000-person tournament in Las Vegas. Like, right. it definitely just felt like something different, and I think we're really moving towards a towards a place where this game is just... I mean, it... Another, an, another cultural touchstone. Yeah, it's yeah. almost there. We're approaching 30 million players worldwide pretty soon, and... It's a big deal. It is a big deal. So, so while we, we, we've been uh, casting and going through... Ben's uh, day two achievement. Uh, I've asked you guys on Twitter what you guys, if you guys have any questions. So we're like in the middle of the desert. Uh, I literally just see weird desert bushes as far as the eye can see, both to our left and right, and a bunch of trucks. And then uh, I think that's a bus ahead of us. <laughs> um, so while we're in the desert, I'm going to answer some of these questions. Um, Nicholas Harburg at Harburg, what tier two or three decks might be good at attacking the current metagame at GP Charlotte? So I think in general, I I did some modern events uh, over the weekend, and I really kind of liked Tronless right now. I do think you kind of get hurt by the fact that there's just a a ton more um, full matter mages in the format. But beyond that, Tron hasn't shown up for a while, and like the decks that are out there, other than Burn and maybe Infect, which has fallen out of favor, you're pretty strong against a lot of the field. Like. Uh Burns your worst matchup, and you could definitely have a cyborg plan against them that really helps out. I definitely think that Amulet Bloom is super unfair and yeah. is really good. And it's if you play that deck and you can actually learn how to do it correctly, which I don't think is quite as hard as people think. Um, it's really just a question of man hours that you can put behind learning it. Yeah, I don't think you can just pick it up, but I think you can do gold fishing just by yourself. I don't think you need an opponent to get good at that deck as much as you need with other decks. Yeah, that deck I think is really good. I also... I'm a fan of Tarmo Twin. I played against Tarmo Twin a few times this weekend, and I think that deck's pretty powerful. Um, you know that like, it's, like traditional Splinter Twin is really good, but the one thing that's so good against Splinter Twin is a powerful card on turn two, like an aggressive card, like a Tarmogoyf. So I think that if, if Twin can play its own Tarmogoyf on turn two and then play Disruptive Magic, that's pretty powerful. Right. Um, I'm a fan of that list. I think traditional Splinter Twin lists are good and. If you're a really good player with it, it's good. But I think there are enough cards that can mess with you that are running around. Unless you're super, super good with the deck and that's all you've ever played, people know how to interact with you I think you're on a little too consistent of a basis. Right. All right, so the next um, the next tweet at us was from James, who is at Let's Go Terps. Uh, he asked us, hashtag Goifgate, question mark, happy face. So for those guys who don't know, Pascal Maynard uh, made the top eight at, of the GP. And, I mean, in, in previous conversations with pro players, he's mentioned, like, you know, like, I'm not going to a lot of GPs because it's expensive. I can't afford it. Um, and so he, he first picked out of a pack that, like, in colors he's not going to play it, first picked a Goyf, Foil Goyf, which is about, you know, a $500, $1,000 card. And a lot of random pros are freaking out being like, yo, that hurts the, the quality of the game. This is high-level play. You should be playing, you know, at the, the, the peak at this level. It shouldn't be about, you know, an extra $1,000. Uh, and now the internet... I don't internet think Foil is $1,000. I think it's like $400. Right. Well, that, I mean, that's what the, the people on the Twitter the Twitterverse are saying. So, I mean, I personally think if you... Like, it, that's, that's a lot of money. Even $500 is a lot of money. If you're already in a point where you can't pick it, I, I, don't, I don't belittle him for picking the Goyf. Absolutely not. I mean... Look, the difference between at those high-level tournaments, like, what did I just say when I was talking about my drafts? My first pick in almost every pack 
was not a card I ended up playing. I played Moldrifter. I, did, I didn't play Arrest. I mean, you know, like pack two in my second draft, I first picked a, a Wrecking Ball, which I ended up only splashing in in one game against Rietzel. Didn't even win the game. I mean, <laughs> it, like, the powerful cards you first pick sometimes make the deck you play, and sometimes you switch colors, and that's just how it works. I mean, I don't... I don't fault anybody for opening a four, you know, four hundred dollar bills or five hundred dollar bills in a pack of Magic cards and saying, "I'll take this instead of my pick." That's, right. It's a ridiculous thing to fault someone for when you're talking about the amount of money that you're actually winning if you win the tournament anyway. If you win the tournament first place, it's four thousand. I think five through eight, it's a thousand dollars. When Tarmogoyf okay. is worth almost as much money as you're going to make for fifth through eighth place. I'll take Tarmogoyf. Right. I'm, right, I'm, right. I'm not going to say that the people who are calling or are criticizing him are wrong here because well, playing I, Magic at the high level is not about winning money true. for most people. True, true, If you're in it for money, you're in it for the wrong reasons. But uh, I, I mean, I don't think anyone like. I think there's some debate over if it was the right pick or not. I don't think it was the right pick. It's obviously the wrong pick. In fact, uh, at Wizards Norman uh, tweeted at us, and his basic tweet was, "It's the wrong pick, but he has every right to draft what he wants, and the backlash against him is ridiculous." And I agree. I don't like. I think it's so funny that this is even like trending on Twitter right now. Goifgate. <laughs> Everything's a gate now too, which is kind of ridiculous. Yeah. And like the kind of a, like movements behind hashtag gates are generally all ridiculous. Yeah, totally. So we just need to move away from the hashtag gate idea. I would agree. Um, I think we always say with that. Uh, Ziggy Nix, who is at Ziggy Mondays, uh, at the MMCast, top ten silver bullet sideboard cards. Also, be careful in Bat Country, my friends. We will. If bats attack this car, we're taking them down. Okay. At least we're taking them down with us. Top 100 silver bullet sideboard cards? Top 10, not 100. Top 10. Uh, That'd be a long car ride. A few things to talk about if you're going to do top 10 silver bullet sideboard cards. Number one being, um, if they're silver bullets, you have to have a, some sort of a package to get them. So uh, the first thing I'll say is if you're playing a blue deck with, like, Trinket Mage, for instance... Or like Tezzeret the Seeker, that kind of a thing. Engineer Explosives? Yeah, I mean, you, you can think about There's cards. There's a lot of different tutor packages for that card. Yeah, you can play Engineered Explosives. You can play a single copy of Brittle Effigy. You can play Torpor Orb. You can play... Yeah, all those one-drop artifacts bridge. that are still play on the format are pretty good. Ensnaring Bridge. You can play Relic of Regenitus. You can play... Like, there's a good, healthy amount of cards that can be played in those decks. Right. In and those then, decks, artifact right. decks. And then if you look at, like, uh, it's hard to talk just pure top ten, or at least without doing a whole episode on the subject. But uh, if you look at, like, um, Amulet Bloom, uh, they played a lot of singleton, just big green creatures that are just, like, vaguely slightly better in different situations, like Sigarda and Hornet Queen and Thrag Tusk. And that's because they have the green pact to be able to, like, uh, Primal Pact? Uh, uh, pact of Summoner's Pact. Summoner's Pact. Uh, and... You know, because it kind of lets them search out the right card they need at the right moment. Like, there's just generally, it's more, it would be more interesting is actually even just the conversation of the top 10 cards that allow you to have the singleton kind of sideboard plan. So, not necessarily yeah. the actual targets, but more like Fauna Shaman or Tezzeret or Trinket Mage or Teleria West. Like, there's definitely a lot of cool. Uh, cards that let you have those silver bullet packages. Yeah, all those cards are cards we love. I mean, I mean, yeah, Fauna Shaman's a great one, definitely. Um, obviously, Pod before was, once before was banned. I mean, I think um, if you're looking for specific real targets, going for, like, high-level but very specific hate cards, so stuff like um, Malira, for instance, which, like, yeah. if you're not playing the combo, but, it, like, it just shuts down Infect. So having that in your sidebar as a one-of, if you have a way to get it, great. Having stuff like um, uh, like that, there's a whole like group of hate bear cards. Really, I guess is what I'm saying. That are like pretty good. I mean, we were just talking about earlier today about Tunnelingus being just the nuts against. Yeah, Tunnelingus uh, is Blue, awesome. Which that is card's... a card that whenever the second, every time a player plays an additional land after their first one a turn, they take two damage. An opponent. It's a two one. An for opponent. Two. Right, right. So like, it can just wreck a person, a uh, wreck an amulet player pretty quickly. Yeah, it's, it's really, really good. That, I mean, that card's a great example. You know, an, another one you can talk about that is sort of like silver bullety uh, that's way off the radar, and this is this is one, I don't know if any of you guys know this card or have ever thought about it. There's a card called Vidalcan Ethermage, and it's a, it's a tutor from Future Sight. Now, it's, the card itself is one blue, one colorless for a one-two flash 
Vidalcan Wizard, I think, or Vidalcan Artificer or something like that. Okay. Um, when it enters the battlefield, return target sliver to its opponent's hand, but the one ability on the card that nobody pays attention to... Or, well, like, I, I'm pretty sure that's the only thing people pay attention to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it's the thing that's, like, not the obvious point of the card. It has Wizard Cycling, which right. for three colorless... Uh, you can discard this card at instant speed. At instant speed, search your library for a wizard card, put it into your hand. Now, the number of wizards that are very, very powerful in Magic, to name a few, uh, Vendillion Click, uh, uh, Snapcaster Mage. Um, I mean, there's a handful of awesome ones, but right. really good cards that are very powerful in blue decks. So, and that's also a colorless card, the, the cycle ability. So, that's a pretty interesting one. You know, you can get. You can get changeling cards, for instance. You can cycle right. that for nameless inversion or crib swap. No, there's definitely there's definitely a lot of cool ways to do the searching. Well, if you're coming to just pure singleton, uh, I really like wear and tear actually in this category of just like a random one of card. If you have like one slot left in your 15, you're just looking at a random card because it's pretty decent generally. Again, it's a lot of matchups and it covers a lot of bases. Plus, it's like. Like, if you only need Artifact Hate against the deck, it's great. If you only need Enchantment Hate, and it kind of covers some bases. So, yeah. So, moving on. Uh, Joe Swangler. Joey Swangler. At Lil Wag with three A's. Uh, how many main deck Anger of the Gods slash Volcanic Fallout slash Pyroclasms are too many? Question, question mark. Hashtag Scred. I think anything more than five. Is gonna, I'm going to go with five. Main deck, you're saying? Main deck. Yeah, I mean, not, unless it's a deck that has a way to, like, discard them for, for value, uh, you don't really, I think, four in a main deck, well, unless it's a really, really oppressive metagame where you need to be playing more. I mean, generally, these are the kind of decks that are playing Boros Reckoners, or effects like that, so, like, you gain some advantage off the fact that the damage that these do to your own creatures do damage to either your opponent or creatures. Sure. Um, but I, I don't think, like, board wipes aren't great in Modern. And maybe they're, like, I do think Anger of the Gods is really good right now. So, like, Anger's playing good three for to four, because, sure. like, collected company decks are everywhere. Elf decks are now a thing. I definitely think I like Anger of the Gods right now. I'm not sure how much you want to play more than four of that type of effect, though. I would agree. Yeah, it costs three mana, as we've said in Modern. Three mana in Modern is a really, really tough tap-out number, so two mana in Modern is, like, the manageable number. I mean, the lesson we've learned about this format, the constructed format has not changed from... Turn two is the most important turn in modern. Turn four is the game winner. So if you do something great on turn two, great. Now your mana has to be open for turn three. If you're playing a strategy that's all in or aggressively linear, you have to win on turn four. Otherwise, play a different deck. Well, and that's why like, that's why generally Pyroclasm gets considered more for main decks because it is the turn two drop. So you can play it on turn four as a two drop and then keep counter magic open or something along those lines. Mind you... Scred's a sweet deck, but I think we're going to move on. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, uh, Sean Campbell at SCC uh, Campbell, 1118. Uh, was Ben able to convince Paul Rietzel to come on the show? Yes. Yes, Paul Rietzel is coming on the show. He's, this is going to be awesome. Yep, so hopefully that will happen. <laughs> um, uh, Alex Ballou. Ben mentioned a brew while he chatted at GP Vegas that you guys chatted in, in GP Vegas. Uh, that had Pack Rat. Let's hear the tech. Do we want to do that all right now, or do we want to wait for another episode? I think we have to save it for another episode. Yeah, that, the we're brew already at almost two hours, I think. What? I don't think we can... Oh, sorry, never mind. That's not true. We're at like an hour 20. Uh, this this brew that you mentioned that doesn't it does play Pack Rat, I've been working on it for a while now. I've probably played something like 60 to 70 games. It's probably one of my favorite brews I've ever made, and I will share the tech. We're currently teching a second version of it right now to see if we can come up with a better version than I'm playing. But as soon as I am ready to take it to an event, uh, which so, so to talk a little about it, there's definitely a good engine that you know. Are obviously a lot of people are already on the collected company train, but we've the, Ben has kind of figured out a few other additional cards that definitely have a lot of really interesting play with each other, and it's a really strong engine. And and the deck we have built right now is very strong. I mean, it's it's. In testing, which is obviously not, you know, we haven't had infinite games, but 55 against uh, Junk, pretty good against Splinter Twin. Oh, I would say more than, uh, Splinter Twin is your best matchup. It's like 65%. Right. So it's definitely doing a lot of strong things, and we want to make sure that this engine is, like, being optimally used with some of the looser cards or cooler cards that we're playing with, or if it should be something else. But right now, pretty sweet. We've definitely been doing a lot of testing. Normally, I'm, I'm drinking some Haterade on the... the the Ben Brew train, but like, 
This one I definitely have a little bit more faith in than normal. We definitely will be doing a tech, deck tech in the future. Um, 100%. This is, no, this is no Haunted Handsome, guys. Shout out to Bear Valley Road. <laughs> Currently, I think we're like officially hitting the outskirts of Los Angeles. Like, there's a few little more like bastions of small desert towns, but we're generally getting into Los Angeles. Um, I wanna. Uh, I'm actually gonna give. A, I'm gonna give you a, a preview. Kessler and I were trying to come up with a name last night for the deck. We ha- we don't have a name we like yet, but one idea that was tossed around, and I'm just gonna tell you guys the name, and you can see if you can come up with it, with what's in the deck, was. Uh, Superior burning coconuts. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, burning hot cocoa. <laughs> oh yeah, burning hot cocoa. Uh, so that's kind of something we were talking about, and you guys will see if you can guess, and yep. we'll do a tech very soon. Cool. Now, uh, you know, as always, we want to give a shout out to the Command Zone. Uh, they threw an awesome party in Vegas. Those guys are great. They do great Commander content. I personally will eventually soon be on their podcast, so you know that'll be happening. Uh, also, make sure to follow us on Twitter. We are at the MM Cast. I am at Kess Wiley. And I'm at Ben Bateman Media on Twitter, Instagram, and occasionally Periscope. And, you know, if you shout us while you're listening to this right now, we'll shout right back at you. Uh, please go uh, review us on iTunes. We've been uh, giving away packs to every 10th person who uh, com- uh, comments and rates on our iTunes page. Um, you that, That'll go up to, until we have 120 comments. I don't. We don't have any more packs in the bag after that point. Uh, but it's really important. It makes it so other people can find us and we can kind of grow the podcast together. Um, big shout out to everyone we got to meet in Vegas. You guys are awesome. Uh, we had a great time. Shout out to the Brainstorm Brewery guys. Shout out to everyone else. It was really, I had a blast. So much fun. Uh, and then uh, congratulations to all the Hideo guys who made it the day too. That's 10 players. That's insane. 10 players, yeah. Huge, huge stuff. Uh, hopefully, you know, the train continues. If you're ever in Santa Monica in Los Angeles, Go to Heidi Ho Comics for Tuesday Night Draft and play against a bunch of pros. It's a really good store. Yeah, so uh, we'll uh, talk to you next week. Thanks a lot for listening, guys. Bye, guys. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to the MMCast at rocketjump.com. See you later, alligator.